0: Episode 7 of the Water Break Podcast. Here's your host, Heather Jennings. Hi, welcome to Water Break, where we try to bridge the gap between water operators and engineers. This episode, we're going to discuss the anaerobic digesters and their operations with Kay Curtin. Kay has had a very varied career. She has worked as an assistant manager for MCES wastewater treatment facilities, as well as being a certification and trainer for Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and is now currently working as a trainer technician for Wisconsin's Rural Water Association. Kay also is an advanced wastewater operator in Wisconsin and a level A wastewater operator in Minnesota, and has her own consulting business, Curtin Consulting LLC. She has 45 years experience in wastewater. And Kay, I am so excited to have you here as you've seen a wide variety of issues in wastewater, especially with anaerobic digesters. So I'm excited to have you come. Thank you. I'm excited to be here too. (laughs) I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be a fun discussion. Remember, you'll also want to stay tuned for our Wanda's Water Tidbit at the end of our program, where we share fun and quirky trivia or information on water. And this this one's a great one. So, stay tuned. Okay, Kay. When we were talking last week, you had said something that I thought really resonated with me, and that wastewater operators are the original environmental scientists. Can you share what you meant by that? Uh, yes,
1: I like to tell people that because we're the ones that are actually doing the work to clean up the wastewater. Uh, it's it's fine to you know have organizations. It's great to have organizations like. Greenpeace and PETA, and they do a lot of work too, but we are out there in the field actually taking municipal and industrial wastewater and making it once again drinkable. So we're, we're actually down there in the trenches doing it. I've had some people t- tell me that, oh, you add chemicals to the water, you're polluting the water. No, it's just the opposite. We're cleaning it up for you. Uh, chlorine uh, has, has a reason to be there before we chlorinated water uh, and wastewater, the rate of death, especially
0: childhood deaths was extremely high. Yeah. And it's been interesting only in the last couple of years that people actually started coming up to me and he goes, do you know this about our wastewater? And I'm all, have you not seen my Facebook for the last (laughs) few years? (laughs) Yes. And, you know, they I really love that part of the industry that it's down in the trenches, it's really making the change that others have no idea even happens. And we do a lot of our work quietly, but if we stop doing our work, there'd be a lot of chaos. A very smelly chaos too. A very smelly chaos, yes, yes. 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 So Kate, how would you define anaerobic digestion?
1: Wastewater is removed from a wastewater treatment plant and it's usually in a thickened stage. And it's put into a sealed tank. Uh, There's absolutely no air entering that tank. There's no free oxygen, dissolved oxygen, molecular dissolved oxygen like sulfates, nitrates. And it's usually heated. Uh, Most of the digesters are heated around 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. And what that does is it breaks down. There's still bacteria in there. It's kind of a complicated process. And it breaks the waste down further from what the wastewater treatment plants say activated sludge did, and the final product is biosolids, thickened biosolids, and very well stabilized biosolids, so that it can be used as fertilizer, field spread. Now there's different different types of uh, other thickening equipment that they can use afterwards mm-hmm. or before digesters, but. It, it really does a good job of breaking down the volatile solids. I, where do you usually see these being used? They were very popular back around the middle part of the, the century, and they got away from them quite a bit. And now we're seeing them used again for uh, municipalities, for industries. And mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot of, of industrial uh, farms here in Wisconsin, CAFOs, the concentrated animal oh. feed feedlots, uh-huh. and some of them have literally thousands of cows. And so you imagine the manure that's generated? Yeah. <laughs> and so that somebody came up with the idea to do do that, to uh, put digesters on there, to produce electricity, heat, et cetera, with the digesters. And uh, some have been successful, some have blown up. So oh, it's been yeah. kind of a mixed bag. <laughs> um, but uh, the municipal ones have been around a long time, and, and we've been licensed and, and uh, trained how to
0: use them. So there hasn't been very many problems with those. I consider them the princesses in wastewater treatment as far as like a uh, process, just because it is, it is, or divas, it, whichever way you want to put yeah, it.
1: <laughs> it is. <laughs> they, they
0: have low tolerance. Uh, yes. Anything.
1: Yes. Especially the ones that form methane, the bacteria that form methane are a pain. It's like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. I think I shall die. But it's a really tricky process. And before getting into it, operators need to understand that they have to do some process control. The ones that have just ignored it and let them run themselves are the ones that are usually mm-hmm. calling me because they're having problems. So it's it's a little bit of work, but it's become easier over the years with some of the kits and, and uh, spectrophotometers and things that we can
0: use now to do some of the testing. Well, you, you mentioned some of the, the bacteria. What types of bacteria are we looking at?
1: Well, uh, for middle range, the 95 degree ones, it's a mesophilic bacteria. And Mm -hmm. those are the most common ones. There's also a thermophilic bacteria. That's the upper range. Those digest faster, but of course, it costs more to heat the digester too. Mm -hmm. There's also a a psychophilic, which is an unheated digester. Uh, Of course, that takes forever and ever. There are still a couple of those around Wisconsin. They're just in the ground and, and they're not heated at all, but it takes a
0: long time. To digest, so usually in very small towns that don't have much waste. I see the thermophilic digesters more in, say, like a, a pulp and paper industry, where their yes. their wastewaters are already you know ninety five plus. Yes. Uh huh. And so that's where I see a lot of those highest, you know, the thermophilic bacteria. But usually the ones I'm seeing are the mesophilic.
1: Um, I think there's maybe one or two
0: in Wisconsin for
1: municipalities, but uh, I don't think they're anything that's very common. Uh, It's kind of interesting. Uh, When I was working for MCES, which is Minneapolis-St. Paul, they had a a great research group and they decided they'd try to run the digesters at 986 Degrees, you know why that is because these are yeah. basically gut bacteria. And actually, it did work better. They found that it did work better than 95 degrees. However, keeping it at 98.6 consistently is an issue. So I think they yeah. just went back to <laughs> back to uh,
0: operations as, as usual. But I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Well, what are some of the pros and cons of anaerobic digesters that you've seen?
1: They're efficient. If they're run well, they're very efficient. They reduce the volatiles. So you aren't spreading volatilized wastewater onto fields. It, you know, there's a vector attraction to anything that stinks that people are going to complain. This is broken down very, very well. You can produce methane. It can be cleaned up and used as propane as an energy source. Or now there are some, there's some some studies that they're trying to recoup some of the carbon dioxide off of it for industrial use too. So oh, the byproducts are are of some use. However, <laughs> the bad things about it is, like you said, divas. Uh, if there's anything toxic, uh, which should be, you know, heavy metals, any kind of hot toxins. And one of the ones that's newer is quaternary ammonia. It, it takes ammonia, oh, yeah. ammonia is a nutrient, but quaternary ammonia is something fairly new on the market the last probably 10, 20 years. Uh, it's in everything. It's in shampoos and detergents. And it's, it makes things nice and slippery and, and makes your yeah. hair smooth, hair, your skin smooth. It's everywhere. And um, it's much more antimicrobial than regular amo- regular ammonia. And so the little bacteria are not very happy. It kills
0: them uh, much mm-hmm. faster than regular ammonia. So that's been an issue too. I and mean, we see that in uh, at least industries I've worked with is like the food industries, dairies or something they'll use or the cheese processors will have a digester and they'll switch out their microbial sanitization Products and there will be quaternary ammonia. And I'm like, oh, the kiss of death.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, you're right. First thing I do is
0: ask them for the SDS sheets and look yeah. For that. Yeah. yeah. Is there a, a specific nutritional requirement? I mean, other than carbon, there is um,
1: nitrogen, about a, a 120 pounds of nitrogen is typical, 20 pounds of, of phosphorus, iron, maybe two pounds, uh, 0.1 pound of copper. These are all just general. Every every one runs a little bit differently. It all depends on the feed rate, but that's kind of the ratio of nutrients at which most of them run the best. They have to be careful because if they get a certain range of like calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, and nitrogen, it causes struvite. Uh, it's at a certain pH and temperature too, and they can change the pH and maybe the temperature, but struvite mm-hmm. builds up inside the digester. And some places like Madison, Wisconsin, are actually producing struvite because it's excellent fertilizer. But you know, for the average anaerobic digester, you don't want that coating your pipes. It's really difficult to remove. And uh, it'll coat the inside of the digester and build up in
0: the digester and use up the storage space. The, the work is already hard enough. You don't want to lose third of your space to struvite. Yeah, true. Um. True. Or you know, you have your your lines completely cut off, choked off by True. it. Yes. Yeah, I've I've seen that before. Where it's you know down to maybe a fourth of what the diameter the pipe was, and you're just like, holy cow! Yeah. I've used
1: chisels to chip it out of things. It's not fun. <laughs> I think they've come up with better better ideas since I was an operator. But yeah, it's it's pretty
0: bad. And when we talked about the nutritional requirements, was that per thousand pounds? I believe it's per thousand pounds. Yes. Okay. Okay. Just so that everyone knows what the ratios are. Yes. Yes. So when it comes to anaerobic digestion, I know there's four steps and I was hoping you could, you could walk us through those. Sure. Because I think this is what everyone forgets that it's not just one process. You just dump it in there that there's different steps occurring
1: people think so because there's generally one primary digester and then there's a storage digester and these four steps mostly take place in that primary so people get kind of confused about that and a lot of books will say there's two steps there's an acid forming step and a methane forming it's actually uh, a lot more complicated than that and so at first uh, bacteria are going to take and break down the waste, the carbohydrates, the fats, and the proteins. And they're going to break them down into something that's really easy for the bacteria to eat. Of bacteria don't have mouths. And so they take mm-hmm. soluble food much more easily, like sugars, uh, fatty acids, amino acids. And then the next stage,
0: I'm sorry. I'm going to say that's hydrolysis, right? Hydrolysis, yes. step is yes. hydrolysis? Yes, yes. Okay. And then uh,
1: acidogenesis. I hope I'm pronouncing these correctly, but I've been <laughs> pronouncing it that way for 45 years, so I hope so. But um, that's when the sugar is broken down, the fatty acids and amino acids and carbonic acids and alcohol, hydrogen and carbon dioxide and ammonia are formed. It's similar to making wine or beer. It's that fermentation process. So we have um, carbonic acids. And at this point, the pH is dropping. So then the next step, acetogenesis, that's breaking down those products to hydrogen, acetic acid, and carbon dioxide, lower and lower pH. But then the very important one is methanogenesis. They're breaking it down to methane. It's forming methane and carbon dioxide. There's a couple different steps. There's like four different major bacteria. And they're the ones that are the major divas. They uh, mm-hmm. they can die pretty easily. So when you hear somebody talk about a, uh, a digester going sour, it's usually because it stopped somewhere before that step, the methane forming step, and it stayed acidic or it goes back to being acidic. That balance is interrupted. And um, that's where, where digesters can get in trouble and it can take a long time to correct them too. So the process control for digesters is extremely important, the feed rate, the the discharge rate, withdrawal rate, all those types of things. Do you recommend SCADA for that kind of process control? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I work with mainly (laughs) very small towns, (laughs) so Uh many of them don't have that. The larger cities do. And yes, there's nothing better than SCADA, because real time you can see exactly what's going on. There's still some parameters that you need to use kind of getting ahead of myself, but they need to do a volatile acid alkalinity testing because that Mm -hmm. ratio is the first thing that's going to tell you there's a problem, that it's getting very acidic. And by the time the pH drops, you're already in trouble. So the volatile acids, um, it's kind of a time-consuming test. There are some new tests out using a spectrophotometer, but you have to have a very clear sample, which is sometimes difficult with the digester. And then alkalinity tests is a very easy to test to do. So I try to encourage people to
0: do that every day to test their digestion. Do you look at the microbiology as well? I mean, is that a good indicator of what's happening?
1: Um, it's difficult to get samples for one thing because these right. are sealed. You can take carbon dioxide samples and some other things. I don't have much experience. I, I'm a microbiology fanatic when it comes to the plant itself. But mm-hmm. I I don't use that in anaerobic digesters. Um, I okay. usually use gas production or volatile solids reduction as to how well that that digester is
0: operating, and the volatile acid volatile solids um, test too. There's probably a whole huge group that are going. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Because <laughs> they're trying to think of how to get that sample. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure that the larger cities
1: probably do. I just have not mm-hmm. have not been working with that with the smaller ones.
0: So these are these are steps. So it's not like in an aeration basin where everything can be happening all at once. These are kind of steps within that digester.
1: Yeah, it's symbiotic. Yeah, the bacteria will produce, they produce, you know uh, the components for the next step but you're feeding mm-hmm. it at the same time. The really important thing for digesters is mixing for a number of reasons, because you're going to mm-hmm. mix the food with the bacteria that are already in there. And it it distributes the heat around the digester. It also, you know, there's little waste products, you know, little bug poo or whatever that yeah. give off uh-huh. waste uh-huh. products, and you need to get that away from them too and distribute that. So... So uh, that's one of the more important things. And when I visit plants that are having problems and they say their mixing has been an issue, that usually that's the cause of a lot of the problems
0: right there. So if they have a mechanical issue, motors going down or something like that, the whole thing is going to struggle. It probably will. Yes. Yes. When, you know, when I go to people that have anaerobic digesters, a lot of people tout, you know, oh, we get methane off of it. But I'm like, how clean is that methane? Not very.
1: (laughs) Not very in my experience. (laughs) Methane's about, oh, it's about maybe 70% methane and 30% carbon dioxide. But about 1% to 5% is other crud, like uh, hydrogen sulfide and some other impurities. That has Mm -hmm. to be removed before you can use it uh, for heat sources or electricity or anything like that. And that, you know, you're going to have to have some fairly sophisticated equipment to do that. And so some people don't even bother. They just burn it off. you will go by a city and see this flame, yeah, one flame. this eternal flame. <laughs> but um, other ones have, have successfully used it, at least to heat the digesters and the buildings and things like that. Some have produced electricity. My husband worked at a, CFO, a CAFO for a short time that was produced, trying to produce electricity uh, mm-hmm. here. There was, there was like 1,300 head of cattle, a lot of manure and unfortunately, they were doing it by batch. And so he was, he had oh. skater, so he'd come home and they they would put in a batch of, of manure. And of course, they'd generate a bunch of gas. It was working great. And then all of a sudden, it's done. <laughs> so his skate is going off like once an hour. He's having to run back to work. So he didn't, I, I think that place is no longer there. I think it actually Uh, blew up but (laughs) he wasn't there thankfully but they just Uh didn't quite understand the whole process of how it worked so um, it it needs bugs like everything consistent I know you've talked about that with other speakers and the ones Mm -hmm. in the digesters are no different they do not like change they want their food coming in on an even keel and Uh uh, they are very uh, symbiotic to each other but you know what that means. If one, if one yeah. type of plug is not happy, then the rest are gonna have problems. So that's no different in even aerobic
0: wastewater treatment. Yes. So yes. You know, right. they, they all depend on each other. You also mentioned that, you know, with that moisture, you could be getting sulfuric acids.
1: Yes. And that's yes. important to
0: realize too, because that's so corrosive. Yes.
1: And you have to drain the moisture out of they have they have drip traps. You have to drain the moisture out of the digester on a daily basis too. The waste is corrosive, so there's there's some upkeep to these too, and they can be dangerous if they're not uh, operated
0: properly. Great point.
1: <laughs> I can't remember the ratio, but there's there's been two uh, of the municipal ones in Minnesota that I know have had explosions and. What happened is there was a leak and at a certain rate of oxygen and methane when they're mixed together and there's a spark, oh uh, yeah, then it can be a problem. Uh, I had one friend that said he, he got in the pickup truck, he turned the lights off, he got in the pickup truck to drive away and the ground shook. <laughs> he looked back and his digester
0: was gone. So that would be <laughs>
1: pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I know a lot of protocols on a lot of sites is you know no smoking in this yes. area. You know, it's just in a safety. Parts. The buildings the, are supposed
1: to be intrinsically safe. You know, all the electrical and, the, and leaks
0: too are a big issue. Methane leaks from the digester. What are some key operating parameters? Like, you know, I'm coming onto the site. What am I going to look for every day to be like, oh, you know this this is important. This is what I want to keep an eye on. Well, gas pressure, um, a lot of them use manometers.
1: And so you're going to look for the water column, uh, five centimeters, around two inches of water column. Uh, The feed rate is really important, Uh, about Mm -hmm. 0.1 to 0.4 pounds of volatile solids for every cubic foot in that digester per day. So a lot of people never test their volatile solids. They really need to if they have a digester. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, you want to keep that constant. And then uh, the heating coils, if you have heating coils in there and the water is what they use to, to heat it with, if it gets too hot, then the sludge sticks on those coils. So they try to keep that at a decent rate, like hun- less than 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. They test the carbon dioxide in the digester gas, and it should stay about 30 to 35 percent. R state dnr insists that we have a certain volatile solids reduction so in our reports every year we have to do a a, an equation for volatile solids reduction it's a van cleek's equation Uh uh-huh and it's not as difficult as the name sounds but but there's a minimum reduction that they have to have before they can field spread it use it for fertilizer and uh, the pH needs to be very neutral, six eight to seven two, because all those little divas, and it has to uh-huh. have excellent mixing. There's different ways that they can mix it, but it all has to be mixed completely. And then uh, no toxins at all. So there's so much, so many new chemicals being introduced every uh-huh. year into the commercial, you know, establishments. So you don't really know what you're getting. But um, if you have a, a lab, you can send to be tested if you're starting to have some problems. They could do a, a GC scan or something like that, and they can find out what some of those toxins are. But the things I've been seeing the most is um, overloading of ferric in the plant. The ferric okay. at high rates can be toxic. And once again, that quaternary ammonia can, can be a problem. Also, filamentous in a plant can carry on through to a digester. And really wreak havoc. Uh, You have a floating cover. You know you're you're not going to want any foam in there. And also fats. Uh, Almost every town has trouble with fat, oil, and grease, and Mm -hmm. a lot of industries. I, I came from the dairy industry, so that that can mix up with grit and things like that in the digester and form this cement type stuff. That of course it goes to the top of the digester and it could lift up the cover. And if the cover lifts up. Uh, too much, then oxygen gets in, and you've got mm-hmm. problems. So, yeah, there's there are
0: things that can go wrong all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I you know I think of these these wastewater plants. Some of them have really strong pretreatment in place, which I think is fabulous because that kind of helps mitigate some of that fat, soils, and grease that are coming in, pHs that can hit the system it and stuff. Yes, yes. But you know, if they're using this towards the front of the system, they're going to be hit with just anything that comes in. Yes, yes. And there's Um, so little warning. Yes, there is. There is. I see that
1: municipalities use them usually at the end of their system. Some things can Mm -hmm. carry on through. But if they have a large amount of fats, oils and greases from an industry, that industry needs to put in a DAF or something to remove them. And when they're, Upgrading a plant, I always tell them to put in grit removal because grit doesn't do any good. The Bacteria can't eat it. It's sand and rocks and bones and teeth or God God knows what. But anyway, um, so get rid of that before it gets to the digester. You're going to be cleaning them out fairly often. And cleaning a digester is a major labor intensive endeavor because there's safety issues, of course. It's a confined space. You have Mm -hmm. to empty it out. And... And you don't want to do it any more frequently than you have to.
0: Just you know, out of curiosity, when you have say like I and I coming in, how, how does that thinning out of you know the the solids impact?
1: Oh, it's it's a problem. It's going to affect the feed rate. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're adding the same amount of volatiles, which means you're going to have to add a lot more sludge. You might run out of room uh, because it's pounds, and uh-huh. uh, and. If you have uh, a lot of uh, I, and I you're gonna reduce uh, the pounds of solids. Also, INI is usually cold, especially up here in the north in the springtime with the uh-huh. snow melt. And it's gonna affect the heating of your digesters. Your heat exchangers might not be able to keep up to it. That's another issue. I I would like to see all of the wastewater plants for the United States. First of all, fix their collection systems. And then, uh-huh. second, start working on their their treatment plants because the collection systems make a lot more more uh, problems than people realize, and nobody wants to think about them <laughs> because they're underground. But, yeah, uh, yeah, it does. And they're painful, the but to a get a hold of
0: they are. Yes, you can't really see what's going on unless you have a camera. You mentioned earlier as well uh, about alkalinity, and you mentioned. The calcium that's usually associated with alkalinity, uh, calcium carbonate or something like that, is an issue. So, how do we balance that volatile acids and alkalinity?
1: You need to run volatile acids and alkalinity and and calculate the ratio. If the ratio is 0.2, 0.1, you're okay. That means that the bacteria producing the methane are counterbalancing the bacteria that are producing the acid. And Mm -hmm. your digester is working like it's supposed to. If it gets up to 0.3, Uh, You better be changing your feed rate or checking the temperature or something like that because it could spell uh, problems. You know, your pH will start dropping. You can add chemicals if you need to. Usually if you just change the feed rate, it takes care of the problem. Check what's going Mm -hmm. in, what's coming out. But um, you might have to add different types of caustic solutions to it to to, uh, balance it. And it takes, I, I remember one time, We had one that went sour and it took about six months to get it back going again so you want to
0: avoid that at all costs (laughs) yeah Yeah. if that process doesn't do its job then you've got to compensate again for it afterwards you and thicken it more or polymer or something how do you typically test for the alkalinity
1: I'm old, so back when I did it, it was a titration. Nobody even knows what titrations are now, and and now it's a, uh, you can test with a spectrophotometer. It's a very easy test. You just get the reagents, put it in a cuvette, and and test it. Volatile acids mm-hmm. are a dis- distillation method, so you need a fume hood. You know, you're basically cooking something off, and then uh, uh-huh. and then titrating it or using a, a spectrophotometer for the final result. So. Um, there is a a very nice test for it but uh, my experience is i could not get a sample that was clean enough to use a spectrophotometer uh, just for the volatile acids because a light shines through that sample and and there can't be any particulate matter or it's going to throw that test result off you know they're coming up with better things all the time i have talked to people that have used it Use those tests and it worked fine. But it's, it's time consuming if you use the old standard methods method. It is.
0: I'm going to have to say I know what titrations are. so
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were that old. Oh, no. <laughs> well, no! There, there's always
0: that dang it when you went that one <laughs> yeah. bit too far. You're just like, curse it. you got to redo it. The other
1: saving grace is if you have some friends down the road. That have uh-huh. an anaerobic digester, and you talk nice to them. They can give you some of their waste, and you can seed your digester. If it starts going bad, you can throw their bacteria in there, and they're already supposedly acclimated to the temperature uh-huh. that you have, et cetera. And it can get started again a little quicker. We're
0: talking about the testing and things like that, but what are the the main causes of failures? So and we talked about uh, the I and I issue, but yes, you know, what other fate causes are there?
1: Oh, um, people not paying attention, mainly the feed (laughs) rates. (laughs) Okay, okay. It amazes me that some of these have run themselves for so long, but when they stop, they stop. The feed rates are a big thing, and um, the discharge rate. Also, toxins, like we talked about before, high ammonia. The fats, oils, and greases are a huge problem. They don't break down very well. So they mm-hmm. take up space they also cause problems with mixing you know the bacteria just really can't feed on that as well uh, so it messes up the feed rates so there's a def- definite food to, to microorganism ratio for digesters all of them are different but it's just like running an activated sludge plant you don't want to change mm-hmm. that uh, there's siloxanes that can cause some problems too and what those are is another thing that's in everything anymore It's in shampoos and and like meat wrapping, stuff like that. It's a silicon product. And what it does is it coats things. It Mm -hmm. coats the heat exchangers so that you can't keep the heat uh, at the temperature it's supposed to be. So that's a more modern problem Mm -hmm. that we've been hearing about. And it's difficult to clean off.
0: What people don't realize is like the microplastics that come in, like you said, the silica-based stuff. Yes, yes changes everything <laughs> unfortunately it does
1: um, i was just reading how many microplastics people ingest every year it's, it's pretty scary how much we have yeah. in our system i don't know how much stays in our system but yeah uh, it's it's everywhere and and hopefully they'll be able to to control
0: that more in the future but it takes up mm-hmm. space they don't break down that's not food and then you've got the high temperature so depending on the plastic source ugh, anyways yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. another nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> so, what other typical operating issues might people get impacted by? You know, we've talked about the toxin uh, issues and a little bit about foaming, but what are the others?
1: Um, organic overload. Did I mention that yet? If they start getting, um, say, they have a new industry, it's a wet industry, they give them large amounts of waste um, and they're running out of room and their digesters, they overload their digesters with volatiles that can be just as much of a problem as underloading it. The other things are are mechanical problems. Uh, Mixers have to keep running and there's different types of mixers. There's mechanical mixers, there's also, they inject the gas back in, into Mm -hmm. the digester so that it mixes. And keeping a digester airtight. Uh, I know one was hit by lightning where I used to work. Amazingly, it didn't blow up. But it was out in the open, I was hit by lightning. I noticed some bricks were missing the next morning. So, <laughs> Holy crap. Just, yeah. I don't know what you can do about that. But um, that there's just um, a, a lot of potential for leaks.
0: So you have to maintain the structure of those and, and all the mechanical components mm-hmm. very well. You mentioned briefest, briefly the, the seeding. And, you know, when I was reading through your notes, I was like, I was surprised how much it took to reseed. Uh, an anaerobic digester. I didn't know the, the value was that high. It says like 20 times your this anticipated is, volatile solids.
1: This is um, what has come from the books on operation anaerobic digesters. But in real life, I do know it took a great deal of seed to actually get things up and running. They say about 20 mm-hmm. times the anticipated volatile solids that you have in your raw sludge. So that's quite a bit. Volatile solids is usually 70% of municipal sludge. So we're talking uh-huh. quite a few truck from your
0: neighbors. If your neighbor even has that much. If it even has it, yes. They have the same type of digester. That's another issue too. I know we've fielded calls before from p- p- people that were starting the anaerobic digesters. And when we started calculating how much biomass they needed, we're like, holy crap.
1: <laughs> it is. It is a lot. I think that's why manure digesters start up faster. They have a lot of volatiles. Yeah, a lot of crap. (laughs) Yeah. In our state, anyway, I know that the large farm systems, um, they have to attend training now and be licensed, too. So I have not heard about the the number of problems uh, recently that that we had years ago. So that's good. The operators are well-trained and licensed to do that kind of work, which they should be. And industrial ones, too. Uh, The operators that I've had in training sessions are very knowledgeable. So I usually deal with municipality but I like I like once in a while to have somebody from an industry I'm not familiar with in, in
0: my classes so I can learn from them. we keep talking about all the sampling and testing so you have to have a higher operating license or higher laboratory certification to do these things. it's It's not well, typically your your you know new person is able to walk into this plant and handle it.
1: No, no. The thing I keep hearing, we have so many new operators uh, in our state, mm-hmm. I think probably nationwide. I keep hearing is, I didn't realize it was this complicated. I had no idea. I like to hear that because then they'll go home and tell all their relatives how complicated the job is. But no, uh, every state differs in their certifications. Wisconsin,
0: it's how many processes you have flow into the plant, et cetera. So, Kate, what are some lessons learned that you've had from just being in the, the field? I am a
1: huge proponent of process control. Actually, I was just writing an article on it. I'm overdue for my journal article uh, this morning. I was sitting down and trying to finish it. But uh, if you don't know what your plant's doing, if you don't have process control, you you are just asking for a train wreck. Same goes with anaerobic digestion. And um I, I think the same goes for any type of wastewater plant. I don't care how small it is or simple it is. Mm-hmm. The what the ones that were the biggest disasters that actually scared me are ones where nobody, nobody is really watching anything. I had ones that uh, that is memorable. It's been some years ago. I was younger than I am now, but still not not young. And they told uh-huh. me that their anaerobic digester was not working properly. So I went to the city and. Uh, I heard a strange noise. So like as gullible as I am, I decided to climb up on top of the digester and it was a fixed, (gasps) fixed um, top on the digester. It wasn't a floating, floating cover. It was Uh a fixed cover. And I got up there and it was blurping. It was actually shaking, blurping the contents out of the all the safety equipment on the
0: top. You never oh. saw a woman
1: go back down a stairs so fast in your life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was sure it was going to blow while I'm standing up on top and I'm going to be in the next state somewhere. But I had them shut it down <laughs> right away. But it, yeah. was, it was one of those cases where nobody was really paying a lot of attention. The operator before that had always run it like that <laughs> and without any, any harm. But it was just a matter of time before something very serious happened
0: there I didn't want to be around but it did kind of like a Russian roulette or something
1: <laughs> It is. It is.
0: <laughs> no I, I've heard of that as well um, from some other operators and they were just like that was the most scared I've ever been you know, in wastewater treatment so I'm like there's a lot to be said for the additional training for the additional safety procedures you know everything in place because that's yes a loss of life easily. Yes.
1: Um, Cities will upgrade to, uh, you know, industries don't, I don't usually see this problem because I have a dedicated operator, but city operators, especially the small towns I deal with, they have to do everything. They're doing water, they're doing the park mowing, uh, they're skunk catching for somebody's (laughs) mother, you know, all this kind of stuff. And um, so the city, they upgrade to a plant that's very complicated, like with an anaerobic digester, activated sludge. And the the board will say, "Well, we only expect you to be at the plant for a half an hour a day. You know, that's not going to work. They have to yeah. be there longer. Uh, you know, you're going to have to maybe hire somebody part time or full time to do all those other things because that operator you have a large money, a large amount of money invested in this treatment plant, uh, and. That person needs to take care of it. It's just like buying a new car. Mm-hmm. You buy a Maserati, you want to take care of that Maserati. In my case, I buy a you know 1950s truck. <laughs> I wish I had one of those. I will say 1990s truck, but you still need to take care of it. So um, you know, I, I don't think that all... The people involved in city government really understand that you have to educate them yourself you really do Mm -hmm. that's
0: something i'm like you have to advocate for the system yes advocate you with the the uh city hall yes a lot of them have never been in wastewater treatment it's this kind of voodoo magic that happens and they don't care unless it's gone wrong that's true that's absolutely true i
1: i always encourage open houses you can't always get people to the open houses, but uh, mm-hmm. school tours. The, the children seem to be more excited about it than the adults, and they go back home and they tell their parents about it. So and I do talk to high schools and te- technical colleges and grade schools when I get a chance. Uh, the kids mm-hmm. really soak this stuff up, which makes me excited. <laughs> I think we have hope for the future
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know, tell them no wipes ever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing. I need a big banner on my truck: no wipes. Yeah, yeah, that's a big problem.
0: Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. I know. I know All right. your courses had a whole lot more information and and stuff like that. And we're going to put your contact information in the show notes. So if you want to get a hold of Kay and ask her specific questions. But we're going to uh, move on to the Wanda's Water Tidbit. This is dedicated to my mother. And it's a part of the podcast where we share something we find unusual and sometimes brilliant in wastewater. I first saw this from a posting by Phil Bassett. He's the lead operator in DeKalb County, Georgia. So shout out to him. He posted a thing on the Cathedral of Sewage. I don't know about you, Kay, but I don't think of cathedral when I think of wastewater.
1: No, <laughs> no. I do pray occasionally
0: over treatment yeah. plants, but not, not when I'm in you know. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, this is this is a specific uh, showpiece that was created by Sir Joseph Basil or Jet. Don't know quite how to say that. During the 1800s, this is actually called Crossness engines, and they were built between 1865 and 1868. And it's a Victorian masterpiece of ironwork, but it was really to highlight the new sewage system that London was putting in place. And so, like I said, Crossness is just one of the four pumping stations, but it was one of the first of its kind in the world when it came out. And it was really built to address the pollution of raw sewage in uh, going into the River Thames and the cholera that the old sewer system was not addressing. When I first opened up the the, the link, I looked at it and I'm like, I was slack jawed. This is not real. <laughs> like, it's beautiful. I mean, what was your reaction, Kay? Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous.
1: I had never heard of it before until you sent me those links. It is just fabulous. I'd love to go yeah. there.
0: I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait a minute, there's Roman columns, there's vaulted ceilings. There's, uh, Victorian ironwork. So it's really intricate, really well painted. And I'm like. This is how I feel about wastewater. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it rarely looks that pretty. They apparently didn't get the low bed contractor
1: when they did that. No,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> obviously not. You know, oh, uh, you know, this is where the weird. opening ceremony would have been yeah. for the, the you know, sewer system. <laughs> but uh, what's really fun is that it's the Crossless Engines are now a museum. You know, they've got the above floor, go down below the floor uh, and see where the actual engines are. They would be still considered large in our day. They're amazingly uh, impressive that way. Wow! Like, so we're going <laughs> to put those links in the, the show notes, but I, I sincerely think it's worth a, a look at because it's the prettiest thing I've ever seen in wastewater. It is. It is. Thank you for sharing that. It is. I think no, rural Water uh, should have a field trip there, don't you think? There you go. <laughs> I'll go with you. Okay. We need um, an escort. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Someone will keep us on track, you know? Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> I really want to thank you, Kay, for joining us today. Um, oh, like I thank said, Kay's contact information will be located in the show notes. And we encourage you, if you have other topics you would like to share, to have covered, or more fun stuff about water, uh, shoot me an email. So thank you for joining us on Water Break. Thank you for listening to the Water Break Podcast, brought to you by Probiotic Solutions. Probiotic Solutions offers a broad-spectrum line of biostimulant and nutrient products for bioremediation of water, wastewater, and soil. Find more information about our products and the show notes for this podcast at probiotic.com.